0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We'd like to welcome everyone from TorahAnytime.com and call Ha'Lochan. And uh, I'd like to say hello to everyone. What's a Shabbat Shavuot to everyone? Okay. So by us Tuesday night Shavuot. The stuff's flying over here. So am um, to the young man, 19-year-old who had a bris. What's your What's 23. your Hebrew? Twenty-three. 23. All right. What is your Hebrew name? What name did they give you today? Eli Melech. Eli Melech. Okay, you're truly, Eli is Hashem's name, it's God. And Melech is the king, God is the king. I guess you came to realize that. You had a brief today, you realized God is the king, that's for sure. Alright, anyway, Baruch Hashem, Mazel Tov to you. And we should share many, many simchas together. And you just keep drinking during the share, it's fine, no problem. (laughs) No problem. Luchayim, luchayim. Okay, it's it's good anesthesia. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me in three days from now. Okay. Anyway. All right. Baruch Hashem. Like Avraham Avin, I want you to know. I have to tell you something. I, I did a, I, I was um, sandik. Um, the f- rabbi. There's a, I don't know. The rabbi Avram rabbi Reich in, in Borough Park. So he does he does brits on older people, and um, I was a sandik. On uh, a 46-year-old man That had a bris First time he came from Russia First time, and uh, it's not a simple thing A bris by an older person, it's not like by a kid And he and he, he told me something Very amazing That there's a medrash, and you should hear this Because this is about you There's a medrash um, uh, The medrash is a book on the Torah talks about all types of stories And, and very deep things, mystic things And the medrash says that Yishmael, those are the Arabs, came, came to Hashem came to Hashem and said the following that Yitzchak right was 8 days old when he had a bris. He was 8 days old. He was a baby. And he had no choice. And it wasn't so painful. By a baby it's not as painful as by an adult. And Yitzchak had no choice. So Yishmael he was 13 years old when he had a circumcision. And the Arabs circumcise when they're 13, not when they're 8 days old. So he said, his malach, his angel in Shemaim, came to Hashem and said that we are greater than the Jews. The Jews do the bris, Abraham. When they're 8 days old, the kid has no choice. You know, if you ever saw a bris, the sandik holds his feet down, right? <laughs> it's not like... Would you like us to give you a bris or not, you know? kid has no choice, and he's a baby. He said, so the Jews, they have no choice. But we, the Arabs, 13 years old, we have a choice. We could not show up at the bris, you know what I'm saying? And with 13 years old, it's much more painful. Therefore, God, we are much greater than the Jews. That's what the Medrash says. And Ishmael's, his oil and his being in control pretty much today of the whole world... Right, because of their oil and their money, they have billions and zillions and trillions of dollars. Is in the schus of the bris, and that the of their bris that they do it at 13 years old. And on top of that, their malach keeps going and fighting Mashiach because he's saying we do a bris and we're in pain and we do it willingly. And the Jews, they don't do it willingly. The kids only eight days old. And Rabbi Reich showed me a sefer. I don't remember what the sefer was. That in the times of Mashiach, there will be Jews who will be way above these Arabs. And uh, from a nation, it says, from a nation far away, which is Russia, where they didn't have a brisamila until they're 30, 40, 19, 25, whatever it is. And they will go and willingly have a bris. And the Sefer says that their bris of a Jewish bris of anyone, any person who is an adult who can make say yes or no is greater than I Yitzchak. So and and therefore when he told me to be the sandik, because the sandik is considered them as bayach. When you take a baby and you put it on the sandik's lap, so the sandik says a prayer. That he is like him as Bayach, just like you bring a carbon on his back the baby, the blood, and everything, on of his Bayach. So, a Sandig and an adult, in an adult, you don't put him on your lap, but you stand by his shoulders, you hold on to his shoulders. So, when the Rabbi, Rabbi Raich told me, he says, you want to be a Sandig, I want you to know, it's like, it's like bringing, it's like bringing a carbon. And I remember Sand sitting there and saying like, okay, that Yitzchak was one second, you know, to chop his head off. The bris was, it took more than one second, and I think it was much greater than I came to see it. So, so it brings out in this safer that the older people, that didn't have a bris, the adults who didn't have a bris, a bris, and all these people who came from Russia who didn't have a bris, and are willing to, with their own will, right, have a bris. That's what's going to push the to the side and bring mashiach. So we have a, a gentleman in our room here tonight that is going to bring us mashiach in right. <laughs> Guys, just think—if you had to go through it, if you would—it's a big thing. It's Okay, that's It's like laying on a table and saying, "You know, cut me. Do what you got to do." Uh, it's like, "Hey, that's it." It's and tie me down. Make sure I don't move. It's the same thing. So it's a—it's—it's uh, it's a big ches. Okay. Anyway, we're glad, and we're, I, I don't know how you're here tonight, but whatever. We're very glad. <laughs> we're very glad. Very glad that you're here. Okay. Uh, Brooklyn boys, I don't think, could be here tonight, but you guys are made out of different stuff. You guys are, you guys are ironed. Okay. Anyway, so we are sitting with a very big schluss, so I'm sure that the she'er, the Zerat Hashem, will have a very big siat um, Could be Eliyahu Novi comes to every bris, and you know, Eliyahu Novi was by the bris today. Eliyahu Novi has to be by your bris, because he complained about the Jews in his time, that they weren't doing the bris milah. So Hashem said, you're talking bad about my children? Every bris that they do, you're going to have to go, watch it, come back to Shemayim, and tell me that you saw it. So he has to go to every bris. It's a punishment, because he's, you imagine, and he spoke. He said the Jews weren't doing bris mila, and they weren't doing bris mila. He didn't talk Lashen you don't come to a father, you understand, and tell him that his kid's failing. Because the guy who tells the father that, he's not going to be happy. So Le'ar Navi got punished. He wants to be in Shemayim, learning Tyra. Bris, eh, bris. I'm sure they told him, a 23-year-old guy in Brooklyn telling me a bris. He was like, what? You know, I got to see that. So, so, so he definitely was there, and I, I'm hoping that maybe he hung out for the year. Could be all your know, he's in the room. Okay, stand up. Which one are you? Come on. Okay. Anyway, Hashem, very big schutz. Okay. So, I'm, I'm going to. I want to talk about, of course, uh, about Korach and the whole uh, Gilgal of Moshe Rabbeinu, and the Gilgal of Korach and Cain and Hevel and uh, the whole it's a very you know it's something that we have to learn every year before we get that I would like to get just to touch on a different uh, a different subject for a minute so there's a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos you know that between um, between Pesach and uh, Sukkis we what no between Pesach and Sukkis we learn Pirkei Avos we don't stop at Shavuos we learn it through the whole summer. All the way until Sukkot. I don't know, that left side is always... That's, 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 what? What? It's from Mincham Chavez, yeah. Okay, anyway. So, it says in the Mishnah, which we're going to have to find real fast, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world and he, he, he wanted us to know he wanted us to know that we're his children, his chosen. And not only did he want us to know, in other words, being being the prince, let's say you're, you're born a prince, you know, the story of the prince and the pauper, where they got switched. So so being a prince is a very good thing. But if you don't know you're a prince, then uh, it doesn't really do much for you. It's like you have um, two poor people that are that are going around collecting money, right? Now, one of them, before they left to the city to collect money, he spent the dollar on a lotto ticket. And he put it in his drawer. Now, they picked the lotto on Wednesday and he became a multimillionaire. He won $120 million. But it's in his drawer. And he's 500 miles away collecting money. Is he a rich man? No. Yeah. What do you mean, no? Is he a rich man? Yeah. He's a rich man. He's worth $120 million. Does he know about it? No, no but he's still a rich man. Now... If he doesn't ever come back home to take the lotto ticket and cash it in, right? Then he's going to be, even though he has the money, but he doesn't know he has the money, it's pretty much worthless. So, if you're a prince, and you don't know that you're a prince, uh, it's pretty much worthless. As many people in this room, and many people in Kli I keep telling you that we are the sons of Hashem, and we're the, and we're the Kala, and Pesach and all that, but you don't believe it. So, if you don't believe it, then then you're really not it. Even though you are it, but you're really not it. This guy's really a millionaire, but he doesn't know he's a millionaire, so therefore, he's eating scraps, he's eating garbage, he's collecting bottles from the garbage, right? Meanwhile, at home, he's sitting $120 million. So, it's very important that a person knows who he is. So, Rabbi Akiva, who... We know where, uh, didn't learn Torah until he was 40 years old, and only started learning when he saw water on a rock, that had made a hole in a rock, and he realized that, that you can, if you learn and you learn and you learn and you learn and you learn, it's going to affect you, it's going to change you. So he started learning at 40 years. Now he said a Mishnah like this, in Perkeelvoth, Mishnah Yudchez Perigimel. Who are your Aimer? Chaviv Adam. The person is very loved. Shinivra Batelem that we were created in the form of Hashem. So that's a very beautiful thing. But if you don't know that you're created in the form of Hashem, it doesn't mean anything. So, (laughs) Hashem showed us extra love. He told us, you have a lotto ticket, it's 120 million, stop running around gathering scraps, go home, it's in your drawer, Cash it, and you're a taker millionaire. So the Torah tells us in Bereshit, <speaking in Hebrew> that Hashem created us in His form, which I'm going to explain to you soon what that means. So, He didn't only give us a lotto ticket, He told us that He gave us the lotto ticket. If your grandfather left you $5 million, but he didn't tell you about it, you don't have it. So, what Rabbi Akiva is saying is Hashem loves us because He created us in His selim, But He loves us even more because He told us in the Torah that I created. Not to come up after 120 years and Hashem says, hey, you know, I created you like me. I didn't know. So He's showing us His love by telling us that we were created in Tzalem. We're going to talk about what that means to be in the form of Hashem. I look like Hashem. Hashem looks like me. His hands, His eyes. His big nose like what, what What is, you know, what is... What does Hashem? What does that mean that I'm created in His image? Okay, Chaviv and Yisrael. Now, so the whole the whole world, Goyim, Jews, everybody included. Maybe so they don't know. Everyone included, right? Is um, is created in the image of God? Not just Jews, not just Jews. Everybody, every human being. Okay. Now, Chaviv and Yisrael, the Jewish nation is really very much loved. Why? Shinikru thank you. Shinikru la Because they are considered the children of Hashem. But if you don't know that you're a child of Hashem, again, it doesn't mean anything. The special love that, to tell us that Hashem tells us that we are his children. That it says in the prophets, you are the children of Hashem. Okay, so I'm your kid, so. So what is does it get me, the car? Does it, what does it get me, a credit card? What does it get me? Hashem gave us a very big present. If I give you the keys to the car and I put it in your drawer, in a box, in the back, and you never go into that drawer, so I didn't give you the keys to the car. I gave you the keys to the car, but you don't know the keys to the car are there. So I didn't give you the keys. To, I gave you the keys to the car, really, but if you don't know that they're there, you're never going to use them to get into the car. So Hashem said, Hashem said, I gave you something good, and it's my Torah, and never leave it. Okay. So I'm just opening with this Mishnah because it has a lot to do with my subject matter tonight. This is a a question that I've tried to find an answer to for a very long time, and I went to very big mukubalim and very big rabbis, and I could not get an answer. And I knew that if I could get this answer, I could solve a lot of people's problems. And whoever I went to, they said, "You got to look for it, Evolstein. You got to look. You got to look." And nobody gave me the answer. It's not really a major, major league boy problem. It's more of a major league girl problem, but it is a problem, and it's very connected, a little bit connected to us. And I I, want to talk about a little bit about tonight. So there's something called anorexia. Anorexia is when a person doesn't eat. And they pretty much stall themselves to death. There's bulimia, where a person throws up all the time. Most boys, if you look around the room, are not anorexic, right? It's not really that much of a boy problem, but it's a very big girl problem today. Um, eating disorders is a, is a very major thing. So, you know, we learn in Kabbalah that, that the disease begins with your spirituality, and it comes out, the symptoms comes out through your physical body. Cancer is not a physical disease. It's a, it's a disease of the neshama which comes out in the body. Anything that you get sick and that the body gets sick is coming from inside out. And therefore in the times of the Zohar, in the times of the Riyadh actually, so if you were sick, you didn't go to the doctor, you went to the Rizal. And you say, what's hurting you? And you'd say, "Your left toe. And you would say, okay, let's look at the body of the toe, the 613 mitzvahs, this mitzvah, this mitzvah, let's look at the left toe. Left toe is the mitzvah of kivit of aim, let's say, right? So if you fix, go home and do it of aim, and then the pain would go away. So if you are able to fix the neshama, then you're able to fix the spiritual body. There's a lot of Goyim, non-Jewish people, who practice the Chinese of fixing your spirituality and getting your spirituality together and then by that healing, they're healers that heal your spirit. If they heal this, the Indians, if they heal your spirit, then they're able to to, to heal you physically. Being that we have a neshama, our neshama is much more than just a spirit, and therefore a Jew, whatever whatever is going wrong in his life is connected to his neshama. So my question to all the rabbis were, why doesn't the neshama want the goof the goof, the body to eat? I mean, I, I'm dealing with girls who are eighty pounds. And they're 23 years old, 24 years old, they're, they're skeletons. And I've gone to, to the you know, emergency room in Long Island Jewish Hospital where they have Jews and non-Jews who are anorexic. And, 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 and the pictures that you see from the concentration camps, what they look like, they're, they're bones. They're mamish bones. So it's a natural thing to eat. So why would a person, what is wrong with that neshama, why is it not allowing the person to want to eat? And I went to many big tzaddikim, and I said, "We need to fix this because there's a lot of girls going through this. And you need to tell me what's the neshama, what's going on in the neshama. If I could fix it, I'll fix the neshama, and then that way they'll start to eat again." I couldn't get an answer from anyone, but Hashem helps. and This Shabbos, I got an answer. Rabbi Shmuel's case. We were on a Shabbaton in Tubby Camp, Tubby in, in the mountains. You know, with the fly paper, the whole bit. It was really like really nice. And, um, he got up and he said, he quoted, what was it say, from the Likutei Likute Maharan, um, Perik Ayan Zayin. The Likute Maharan was written, I'm sure some of you have heard of, Rav Nachman Ibrezlev, right? So that's the Maharan. And his statement was, his question is, why does a human being have to eat and drink and sleep. Why do we have to do that? When a plant has photosynthesis, where where anyone who learns the chlorophyll in the leaf and then the carbon dioxide goes out, and actually goes in, it makes clouds, it rains, it goes back up, and that's photosynthesis, that's how a plant grows. So plant doesn't need, it doesn't need what we need to eat, and, well, it needs to drink, because it gets water. But why aren't we like an automatic? And Rav Nachman said something that's when I first heard it was a little scary but then I understood what he was trying to say Rav Nachman said that every single day in a human being's life he has to have pain now there's a Gemara and the Gemara says that for 30 days in a row you have no pain you have to do tshuva because it means you're totally disconnected from Hashem pain could be putting your hand in your pocket to get a nickel instead you get a dime you got to put your hand back in your pocket that's enough doesn't have to be that you broke your leg. But every single person has to have pain every single day. That's what he said. And food, food helps you get through that pain. Now, the translation that Rabbi Skase said was, well, what is he saying? Food... Uh, my, my, my leg hurts me. You give me an apple, my leg doesn't hurt me. My leg still hurts me. Why does it help, right? So what he was saying was like this, that. The same way you bring up a child. You're not allowed to hit a child out of anger. If you're upset, you're not allowed to hit a child, right? But my father, all of a sudden, my father was a United States Marine, okay? And he was one tough guy. You know, he had his hair with the little thing in front with the butch wax. He was, yeah, yeah, it was my father. But, but, he was home every Friday from work and played ball with us, took us out to His whole life was his children. We were his whole life. He told me how to play baseball. He told me how to play hockey. He made the basement into a hockey court. He bought the goals. He bought me. He was always there for me. He always gave me everything. So, being that he gave me everything, when I stepped out of line and I got whacked, right, I understood that if this man gives me everything and I'm getting a patch, that the patch is coming from a good place. It's not coming because he's nervous, not coming because he lost it. It's coming because I deserved it and I have to learn something. But if he only gave me the patch and the patch and the patch and he never showed me to the love, then the patch to me would be totally pain because, you know, he's out of control. He's just trying to hurt me. So the Rambam says when you bring up children when you teach Torah that you should hug them with one hand hit them with the other. That's what he says. But the hug has to come first. If you hug me and you love me and you take care of me, then you give me a patch, I accept it. But if you patch me and then you patch me and you patch me, I'm not going to let you hug me. I'm not going to let you hug me. So the Ramam says that the hugging has to come before the patch. So what, what, what Rav Nachman was saying, what he was saying, Rav Nachman was saying, was that if you focus on food, and how good and delicious and how much of it and how many different foods and tastes and colors that Hashem makes, then you know that God loves you. And therefore, if you eat three times a day, fruit and vegetables and cake, and whatever you're eating, and steak, whatever it is, and all those different tastes that you taste and you smell, right, and you enjoy, then if you get a patch from Hashem, you know that it's for your good. It's not to hurt you. You know... That it's a shot that the doctor's giving you that hurts, but it's for your good. If a doctor, right, if a doctor who is a bone doctor is always fixing broken arms and broken legs and ripped cartilage and all these things, right, then he has a right to pop in my uh, person's shoulder if it's dislocated. Now, a dislocated shoulder, you know, is a very, very painful thing. And the football players, you see, you know, it's your shoulder, your, your, your collarbones pop is out there. You know? So, what, what they, what they do is, like, they take your arm for one second, I don't to show it on anybody, and they push it back, and when they push it back, your collarbone pops into place, and that's it, it's done. They don't put you in a cask, you didn't break anything, and you're good, you're good to go. You know, you move your arm around. But when that thing's out, ho, ho, ho. There's, there's like no pain in the whole world. Now, if you have a guy that all he does is pop in shoulder blades, there's something wrong with him. You know, that's all he does, is go around, and, and pop, but a guy, right, he's, he's a sadist. Right, He doesn't fix any bones. He doesn't do anything. Oh, collarbone? That's mine, baby. Eh, oh, ah, no. Beautiful. Next, bring me another collarbone. The guy's there's something wrong with him. Right, But if he's always putting on casts, and he's always doing surgery, and he's always helping people, so when he pops in a guy's collarbone, when you're standing there watching him pop in a collarbone, and the guy's screaming at the, top of the lung, you're like, don't worry, don't worry. He knows what he's doing. He's a good guy. He's a good doctor. Not a sugar now. So what, what Anahim was saying over here is that if a person focuses on food, a plant doesn't need it the plant's not connected to Hashem but a person if you focus on food and you see that Hashem gives food and it has all these different tastes and, and a watermelon has so much water in it and each thing and, 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 and toast and bread and each thing that you crunch that you munch that you like that you enjoy so then, then if you have pain you understand that that pain is coming from the same God then it's not not a bad thing and that's what he said on Shabbos and my mind began to start working and I said I want to say a different translation I want to say something else I think I don't know if this is what Nachman meant but this is what I got from what he meant I want to say that why aren't we like a plant that you just in the sun and the sun and the rain and you don't have to do anything it's because a person has to have pain to be connected to Hashem pain and pleasure to be connected to Hashem pleasure usually doesn't connect you to Hashem pain you know when you're in pain, that's when you start davening to Hashem. There are more prayers said over a toilet bowl. When guys are throwing up, people are throwing up, than a set in shul. Because when you're throwing up, you're like, if you stop, if Hashem, if, you, if, if this goes away, I promise you I'll never eat anything on kosher, I won't talk to us ah! We call it the God, the ivory God, you know, the toilet bowl. When you're standing there, your head's over the toilet. You're like, God, I'll do this, I'll do this. I'll. Even though you're in the bathroom. Hashem, help me. A guy has diarrhea and cramps. He's sitting there. He's like, if this stops, ah, I'll say, I'll show outside. All kinds of prayers in the bathroom. All kinds of crazy prayers. Why? Because pain brings a person close to Hashem. Pleasure, we separate. Pleasure is my thing. You know, it do not do with God. So, what I think, what I thought that he was saying was something amazing. Is that a person has to have pain every day. Because that'll drive you to Hashem. What's the pain you have every day? That you're hungry. The pain that Hashem gives you, He doesn't break your leg every day. He doesn't give you a headache every day. He says, listen, to get you close to me, you're going to have to have pain, otherwise you're not coming to me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to create a human being that he becomes hungry, and he becomes thirsty. But what's the medicine for the hunger? Pizza. Steak. Lamb chops. Lamb chops a box of cereal, yogurt, whatever you like. So the chesed of Hashem is so amazing that the pain He gives you every day to get close to Him is eating food. And by eating food, that pain goes away. Or by drinking a glass of water, that pain goes away. So, so to a, I don't know how to explain it to you, but for a person to understand that I'm giving you pain so, but but the medicine that I'm giving you for the pain is much greater than the pain. You're hungry, you eat. So, and that's why you have to bench bef- after. I was thinking to myself, that's why you have to bench after and make a bracha before. Because when you're thanking Hashem for two things. I'm thanking you that you're making me hungry, because that's bringing me closer to you. And I'm thanking you make me hungry, because when I make me hungry, I get to eat all these delicious things. If you're, if you're sick, boys, if you're ever sick, Hashem should never be sick. But, but, but what's the whole thing of cancer? What's the main part of a cancer? is that the person loses his appetite. And he becomes nauseous. And he loses his appetite. And he loses weight, and he loses weight, and he loses weight. And he, weight and he doesn't get to eat because he doesn't want to eat. Not wanting to eat is, very, is a symptom of, a, of, of that there's something very wrong. A human being not wanting to eat is a symptom that there's something very wrong. A person who's not, who's not eating... And losing weight, the first thing they start looking for is that, is that disease. That person just lost his appetite for no reason. It's a very scary thing. So the, the, the person who does not eat is disconnected. And therefore, I was thinking to myself, so, so that's a another no, thing. So Hashem makes you hungry for five minutes, and then He rains on you all kinds of choices on how to get rid of that pain. It's sort of like you have a pain in your foot, and there's a medicine that you're taking... That's much more delicious than the pain is pain, and that's food. And that tree doesn't need that, but we need that, and that's the biggest rachamim in all that it gives you a pain now. So what happens? So a person who doesn't want to be connected to Hashem, a person a neshama that's disconnected from Hashem, so doesn't want food, because food is the is the is the refuah for the pain, and therefore. If you have the pain of hunger and you don't give it food, then you miss the whole reason to eat. Because the whole reason to eat is to take care of that pain. If you want to just have the pain and not have the food, you miss the whole thing. And what happens to a person who's anorexic? They have no appetite anymore. They're not hungry. They really don't. They can't eat. They don't want to eat. They're not hungry. That whole connection is gone. Now, what happens from that? Usually more painful things. They begin to cut themselves. They begin to do other things. Because they need... Because we need... According to, Aran, to have pain every day. So if I get to a point... Where I don't need to eat. I'm not hungry. So I don't have the pain of hunger. So now my nishama Is looking for other pain... To connect me to Hashem. So all of a sudden... I'm doing crazy things. Why, why would a person cut themselves? Right? It's a big thing. People cut themselves. Why would a person cut themselves? Why, why is my nishama driving my body... To cut themselves? Because the nishama is saying... You got a, you got you got away from eating. You got away from the pain of hunger. You're not hungry anymore because you don't eat anymore. You're not hungry. So, but I need pain. I can't. I'm not connected to Hashem. So let's do something else that hurts. So let's cut myself. Let's do the ultimate hurt. Let's commit suicide. And that's what's driving the neshama because you, the natural pain that you're supposed to have of being hungry you stopped. So it drives you further and further. Or, or what happens in our generation? Well, we're in pain, which is a which is a means to bring you close to Hashem. But if you have pain in your life and it's putting per, pushing you further away from Hashem, so that pain is not doing what pain was... That's what pain was created for. A tree doesn't have pain. The reason Hashem created pain is to bring us closer to Him. So if that pain drives me further from Him, my neshama... Doesn't want any, doesn't want the goof to have any more pain. What are you having pain for? The whole reason is pain is to bring you close to Hashem. The pain is driving you away from Hashem. So I don't want pain anymore. So give me give me a joint. Give me a shot of heroin. Let me snort some coke. I want to be out of the pain. The shaman says, What are you doing? The pain? The pain is driving you away. So let's make the body that it doesn't feel any pain. Let's give it anesthesia. Because the whole reason of pain is to bring me close to Hashem. The pain is driving me further away from Hashem. So I don't want the pain. If I don't want the pain, how do I get rid of the pain? So I do drugs. I take pills. I, 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 whatever, whatever I have to do to get out of the pain. But it's a misinterpretation because you need the pain. The pain is to bring you closer to Hashem. Not to push you away from Hashem. How do you know that? Because that's why a person's hungry. That's why a person has to go through that. And, and, and even if you look at the shira that all the things in the world sing, is they sing it because of their sustenance. That's the connection to Hashem. If you were never hungry, and you were never thirsty. You would not be connected to our Because you don't need him. So, and, and that's, we'll go back to what I said once, when, when it started raining, that's when everything grew, when the person daven. So, the saying, no pay, no gain, might be from the Maran, Mehran.
1: <laughs>
0: not from Nike. But that's the, that's, that's the truth. So every person, if the, their pain brings them closer to Hashem, then first of all, they'll have less pain. Because you're already gro- you getting close to Hashem, and on top of that, you won't have to make to become numb. Now, we find that most girls that are anorexic or bulimic, and many drug users are abused kids. Ninety percent. I would say 90% of girls that are anorexic were either sexually, physically, or mentally abused. You don't become anorexic in a normal, coming from a normal situation. It's usually driven by some type of abuse. What is abuse? It's a translation of abuse. Abuse is pain, right? That doesn't bring you closer to anything. It pushes you away from everything. So a child, that's being abused, that's going through pain. His father's continuously beating him. So to him, to tell him that pain brings you closer, I tell you out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And pain becomes a very terrible thing. And therefore, I don't want any pain. So you're giving me pain of hunger, Hashem? I don't want to be hungry. So I'm going to stop eating. I'm going to control that pain and I'm going to stop eating, and my stomach's going to shrivel up, and I'm not going to be hungry anymore. So children that are, that are that are abused, where pain becomes a bad word, a bad thing, automatically turns a switch in their head that I don't want pain. Hunger is pain. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I don't want any part of that. So I'm going to disconnect myself totally, and of course the ultimate pain to get out of it is suicide, Kassar So if you were to bring up a child and... Explain that pain is not a bad thing for instance a guy who exercises and works out and understands that to get muscles you got to pick up 50 pounds and then 80 pounds and then 100 pounds and you're screaming and, and I've been in gyms where you know when they're trying to lift the waist they're screaming it's killing them screaming like you never heard in your life like like they're killing somebody right and grunting and what's going on what, are you crazy what are you doing? Self-inflicted pain? And the answer is that they understand that th- through this pain they're going to have huge muscles, they're going to become much stronger. That guy is not becoming anorexic. That guy is not committing suicide. That guy is not getting depressed because he has an understanding in his brain there's a there's a realization that the pain or anyone any any athlete who has to get up at 5:30 and run 20 miles and you know to build himself up that he understands that if, that through this pain I'm going to have muscles. It's going to give me the ability to jump, to run, to whatever it is. But someone who is continuously beat his whole life, so he he to get in his head, pain is abuse. Pain is something I don't want. And if I don't want pain, then I don't want to be hungry. I don't want to be hungry, and I don't want to. Put, I don't want any pain. And if my business is going wrong or my my marriage is going wrong, I don't want that kind of pain. So you know what? Give me a couple of pills. Shoot me up. You know, I'm going to snort something, whatever it is, to get me out of that pain. But what you're really doing is you're disconnecting from something that connects you to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That doesn't mean if you have a headache, you shouldn't take Tylenol. You should take Tylenol. Just the opposite. And You say, God, you're amazing. And this crazy headache, and this little white thing that I have no idea what it is, it's called Actifimon, whatever it is, I pop it in my mouth and I have no more headache. HaKadosh thank you very much. Thank you very much for giving me the food. To take away the, you know, to take away... what? What is pain in a human body? What is pain in a human body? Why do we have pain? Why do you get a headache? Why do you get a toothache? You get a toothache. It's an amazing thing. When you get a toothache, your tooth is telling its nerves to tell your brain that there's something wrong. You don't get a toothache if everything is fine. You get a toothache if there's decay, or root canal, whatever's going on. Now, if you didn't have that warning, you're going to have an infection. And if you don't have pain and your infection, you just, you wait till you see the infection, you're going to die. It's going to get into your blood, it's going to poison your heart, you're going to die. Pain is a trigger in your body which keeps your body going. You have a headache, there's something wrong. I knew someone that was born, it's a very, very weird disease, you should never know from it, that was born without nerve endings. They don't feel anything. You can't even imagine something. You can't touch... He doesn't feel anything. He's born... It's a disease that... I know more than one kid. It's a disease that you're born with, it's a genetic disease, where you can be born... You don't feel anything. He's in a hospital his whole life. Because he could, he could cut off his finger with a knife, and the finger will fall into the sink, and he won't know. And he won't know, because he has no feelings. So they can't let him out of the hospital because he, he could trip and break a bone. Break the bone. His bone could be broken on his arm, and he'll keep walking. His arm will be like this. He'll keep walking. He doesn't feel anything. So, feeling something, pain, is is a present Hashem gave us in order to treat what is wrong. If you don't have pain in your tooth, you don't know that your tooth is having a problem. If you don't have pain in your foot, even an ingrown, silly toenail, if you don't have pain in that ingrown, silly toenail, it's going to get swollen. It's going to, you're going to get blood poisoning. It's going to kill you. So you have this pain, and then you have to go to the, whatever the doctor. He's got to cut out to the end. You're screaming, right? But that screaming is, a, is an amazing thing. Never, if you ever see a person with a stroke, right? So the way they test a person with a stroke is they test both sides, the left side and the right side. And if you could imagine that, you know, this man has a stroke and he's not he's totally numb from his shoulders down. Now, if there's any feeling whatsoever, there's a chance that he'll get back all his feeling. But if there's nothing, then there's pretty much damage to the brain that he probably won't get back anything. So what they do is they take a needle, a needle like you have when you th- when you get a needle, it's about this long, and they begin to prick him from his neck down. And if they keep pricking him and there's no feeling until the bottom of his toes, there's huge trouble. So could you imagine that there's a family, right, and their father is had a stroke and he's laying on this bed and the doctor's taking the needle and he starts to stick him arm shoulder arm fingers nothing nothing side of his body nothing thigh nothing down his leg nothing and they're screaming come on dad scream we want to hear you in pain because if you're in pain we know you're alive scream so if they get to his knee and he goes ah and you screaming they're hallelujah let's go make a kiddush and you look at them and say if you were a Martian, you just walked into the room what are these sick people Sticking needles in their father and he's screaming and they're happy? The bar Hashem, he has feeling. Pain means you have feeling, guys. The problem with us today is we don't want to have feeling, we want to be numb. So we drink and we get ourselves drunk and people go to the bar night after night after night. They get drunk every single night. Why? You go to a goyeshah bar, the same guy. It's not like Jews that just drink on Javas. The same bar, the same thing, from 11 to 2, by 2 o'clock they're schlepping them out. Right? I was in the mountains this, this week, I was driving down the road, I saw a few guys laying on the floor and their friends were trying to pick them up. And I saw right away, well I thought I was going to stop the car, who knows what happened, a shooter, maybe somebody shot them, whatever it is, my wife says no, 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 just go a little bit further and there was a bar, like a block, a block and a half away. That's where they were schlepping them out. So why? Because their way of dealing with pain is I don't want pain. Pain means that you're alive. Pain means that you're alive. No pain, you might be in trouble. You get up in the morning and there's no pain, then you may not be alive. You might be in shemayim. So, what he was saying over here was that the that what what, what Rabbi Nachman was saying that a person should understand that when you're in pain and you have the refuah, you have the apple, you have the coffee. Rabbi Miller used to say that on a coffee you had to say all oh, you rot, sign. He had a whole year of that you had to say when you drank a coffee, thank because there are some crazy coffee drinkers that if they get up in the morning there's no coffee, they're like dead a whole day. I happen not to be a coffee drinker, but coffee drinker, my mother is coffee drinker, you gotta have that coffee and you gotta have it right away. So we had a year ruts thanking Hashem. Now, you could say, that's that's terrible. I have to wake up in the morning and I need a coffee. No, because the coffee's right there, and you have a hundred blends, decaffeinated, recaffeinated, black, blue, whatever, whatever kind you want, the aroma, the smell, the everything. So so it's a thank you, Hashem, that I wake up. And I need a coffee, because I have a coffee. So it's very important for us to understand that it's an amazing God that we have, that He gives us the thing of hunger, that a person can be hungry, right? And through his food, make a bracha and connect to Hashem. And I was thinking that's maybe what the, the idea of a fast day is. Fast day, like Yom Kippur, is such a holy day that you're connected to Hashem without the food. You don't need the food to be connected to Hashem and Yom Kippur. You don't need the food. Now, the other days, to B'Av, you're supposed to be in pain and you're not supposed to have the refuah. So you've got to wait for 24 hours to get the food to eat. Because that's a day that you're sharing Hashem's pain that the basic ministry was destroyed. Any fast day, whatever it is. So that's, the, that's you're in pain and the refuah is there. the food's here, but you can't eat it. So when a person knows that, that's what the mission is saying over here, when a person knows that, So then when you're going through stuff in life, guys, whatever it is, the dating and the girl saying no, whatever the money, whatever the situation is, you have to understand that the pain in life is supposed to draw you closer to Hashem. If it doesn't, then they're probably going to give you more pain. Because then maybe they're thinking that'll draw you to Hashem. And if it still doesn't, they're going to give you more pain. So the faster you get drawn to Hashem through it, the faster you get rid of your pain. Now this week's parasha, Talks about Korach and um, Korach, big mistake. Korach was very, very wealthy. Korach was a very big tzaddik. He was a he was a big man. He was no no Russia. He was a very big man. How did he go off to attack Moshe Rabbeinu? So I want to just quote one pasuk here, which I think is very, very important. He says like this. He came to Moshe Rabbeinu. And he said that we are all Kedoshim. Let me just quote you what he said. Kulim Kedoshim, we're all holy. When he said that, we knew that he was in trouble already. Here. We're all holy. uh, We're with God. Why are you, you know, holding yourselves, exalt yourselves above all of Klai So what Korach was saying is, listen Moshe, you're holy, we're all holy, we're all even, why are you the leader? We should also be the leader. And I I really think that this is a very important lesson for all of us, for everybody here. One of the problems that I have with talking about Drugs, and talking about Shomini and a lot of the subjects that I talk about is, of course, the famous words. But I'm different. What what Karach was saying over here is, I'm holy enough to make my own decisions on who's right and who's wrong. Now I, I tell you this story. I've told you the story before, the story that happened to me. But I think it's very important, especially you know, especially before the summer, to understand that Hashem gave a Torah, and. The difference between a Jew and a non-Jew is that a Jew understands that there are rules that are written in the Torah, and, and, and I don't have an individuality to say, but I'm holy enough to make my own decisions. Sharmini Gia is that it shouldn't lead to other things, but by me, it doesn't lead to other things. So I don't have to be Sharmini and I don't have to do this, you know, I don't have to learn an hour a day, because even without learning an hour a day, I do think about God, you know, when I'm high. You know, and like, sometimes when I'm high, Rabbi, I see things you don't even see. I'm like, okay. So that's his decision. He gets close to Hashem when he's high. But the Torah doesn't tell you you can get high. You understand? So everybody has, and Shabbos said you should rest. My resting is playing golf. There's nothing better for me than playing golf. So I want to play golf on Shabbos. Does it say in the Torah, you know, I play golf? Does it say specifically the word golf? right it's like someone said to me show me the Torah it says you can't be on the internet say in the Torah the word internet but Say in the Torah uh, Facebook right when I gave the whole shmoo, show me an Rashi where it says Facebook let me show you you have to you know the Torah doesn't talk about Facebook but you can learn from the Torah what you're allowed to do what you're not allowed to do but everyone makes we all make we call it we all draw our own line in the sand everybody draws their own line their own everybody everyone in this room has their own religion we all do. You well, know, there's, there's the mitzvahs, but then there's me. And, you know, I know what I can do, what I can't do. It says you're not supposed to steal from a non-Jew. Because if you steal from a non-Jew, you'll become a steal, a ganef. And if you become a ganef, you'll steal from a Jew. But I'm different. I can only steal. guy says, I can steal from non-Jews and not steal from Jews. But it says you can't steal from non But I'm different. So every, everybody has their line in the sand. I can listen to rock and roll. I can listen to rap. I can listen to whatever I want. It has no effect on me. I'm different than you. I'm different than everybody else, Rabbi. It has no effect. I could, I could hang out with girls. It has no effect on me. You know? I'm like, we've got a different problem. I'm the tar we've got to talk about. You know, there's something wrong with you. But, okay. Everyone has their. So, I'm going to tell you this story, and I've said it a hundred times, and I can't say it enough times. This happened to me in the summer, right before I went up to the mountains. I'll tell you where it happened, on the Hess gas station on Nostrand Avenue and Avenue I. I just got my, you know, they don't like when I talk about my car so much. I just gotten. I have just gotten my new car and, and um, not just, but whatever. And my, my light went on that I need oil. The thing went on that I needed oil. What do I know? I know, I know a little bit about cars, but this car has this crazy engine, 449 horsepower. It's a monster crazy engine. I have never, you know, the last time I looked at a car was when I was in yeshiva and I had to put the pen in the carburetor. To make it start today, you don't have even carburetors. Cars don't have carburetors. So when I flip open the hood, I'm looking at a, at a, at a monster. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. You know, there's no carburetor. There's no carburetor. And they got these cars with the batteries under the back seat. Like this stuff, like what's going on over here? You want to, I want to, you know, do the battery. And the battery's not in the front anymore. They got, the cars have changed. I don't know anything about this car. I know it's a, like a racing car. I know this engine does like, the RPMs are like way up there. So I know I need a good oil. I'm not that stupid. I know I need a good, but I don't know which oil so I come up to the head station and it says, I need oil. And these cars have like 12, you know, you used to have four quarts of oil in a car. These guys have like 12 quarts of oil. It's like, like bring in the tanker from Saudi Arabia and put, you know, just put the oil straight from there into my car because the thing has like 12 quarts of oil in it. Right. Okay. I always get those guys with the 999, I'll change, you know, the 99 oil change and you roll in the car and they're like, no, that's five quarts. Your car has 12 quarts, you know, like, you know, it says, it says oil change, 999, you know what? Anyway, so I have no idea what to do. I have no idea what to do. So this Pakistani guy is standing behind the glass, and I'm like, I need oil. And he says, well, what kind of oil do you need? <laughs> I'm like, um, I, I don't know, Cadillac, you know. I don't know. He says, well, we have many oils, you know, SW35, 45, 65 synthetic oil in, in, a gold bo- in a gold bottle, in this bottle, in that bottle. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, give me the most expensive <laughs> right? You have an expensive car, give You me the most expensive oil. It makes sense, right? He says, you want synthetic oil or you want regular oil? Now, I remember, I think you use sports cars you use synthetic oil. I'm not sure. I'm very mixed up. But you put synthetic oil when you need real oil, your, your car's done. It's Dunsky. But I have this black guy standing behind me, right? I'm the big Rabbi Wallerstein. You know, I, was, I haven't even had one of my tapes. I was listening to one of my own tapes, which I don't do that often because it's dangerous you can fall asleep in the car if you do that. So on your way up to the mountains. So, he says to me, "Hey man, cool car, cool wheels." It's a car, he says, "Cool wheels." I'm like, "Yeah, but I don't know what oil to get." He goes, "Hey man, what do you say? That's not a no-brainer." He says, "Like, why don't you just look at your manual?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. Hmm. Pakistani manual. Which way do I go? <laughs> so it's like very embarrassed, you know, because I'm like a Jewish guy I'm supposed to have a brain in my head. Of course, look at your manual. What I stupid? Listen to this Pakistani guy. So of course, I open up my manual. Look in the, gla- in the, in, in the index in the back. Oil, right? I open it up. Do not use synthetic oil. It will cause engine to burn or something like that. <laughs> So I would have been halfway up to the mountains and, and you would have this car on the on 17 just blow up, you know, with the whole, all the wheels flying, Wallstein flying, the airbags flying, the whole place flying, because I decided I have an expensive car with a big engine. I'm going to buy the expensive oil. Idiot. Open up the manual. Open up to the page. And it tells you, this car, now. So I'm not that stupid. Once I opened the manual, it said SA35, right? So I bought four quarts SA35. Put in my car, Borch Shem, I got to the mountains, no problem. Now, what would it be if I told everyone in this room that instead of doing that, I opened up the manual? Let me read the manual. Hmm. Manual says SA35. I don't believe them. They're idiots. What do they know about my car? I'm going with the Pakistani. <laughs> I'm, take, I'm buying the synthetic oil. What do these guys know? They don't know nothing, right? You guys wouldn't come to my share next week. You'd say Wallstein is a dope. He, the guy has an IQ of a six. He opened the manual. Cadillac GM manual, he's driving Cadillac GM, why would he not trust the manual? Who knows more about my car than the guys who wrote the manual? They made the car! It's not like I opened up an Acura manual and I said, oh, the Acura uses that, let me use that. That would be stupid. I'm opening up GM manual for my car and they're telling me every single part of the car what to do. Why would they try to trick me on the oil part? Right? So I would be a fool if I didn't listen to it. So, Korach was that fool. Korach was the guy that the manual said something, and he said, what do they know? I'm doing my own thing. I'm a, I'm a levy, you're a levy. Why should I don't be a coin girl? I should be a coin girl." He made his own decisions. Uh, Show me the gear. I don't go further than this, so I know I can control myself, and this has no effect on me, and that has no effect on me, and I'm different, and I'm there, right? So that's the fool. Why? Because Hashem didn't put us all in this world. He created us. He's GM. He's the GM, all the parts in the body, everything in your body, all the veins, millions of miles of veins, your eyes, your whole body, he created. Now, he didn't just say, okay, go into that world, drink beer, maybe not drink beer, maybe drink Coca-Cola, maybe not drink Coca-Cola, you know, what, what should you put in your body? You know, maybe you should drink tar and eat pebbles. How do you know what you're supposed to do? Maybe pebbles are good for you. I'm not talking about the cereal, you know, in the street. Maybe, maybe that's what's good for you. What happens? Hashem put us in this world. And he said, I'm giving you a manual, it's called the Torah. And this manual will tell you how to live your life and what oil to use and what spark plugs to use and what, what's your battery and what to do. 365 days a year. I will tell you how to go to the bathroom. I will tell you what to do when you come out of the bathroom. I will tell you how to eat. I will tell you what to eat. Can't eat pig. Can't eat lobster. Can't say... You can't say well pig wasn't good in the old days it had tapeworm but today they process it different so today it's healthy Can't say that why cuz that's me listening to the Pakistani cuz the khubish says you the manual says for your body body type Jew Jew body type right You say what you want to say God's manual GM Oh very good God's manual GM I like that Okay, but now they're not gonna be happy at Ford. Okay. It's very corny. If I said it, you wouldn't laugh, but okay. Anyway. So the manual says that you can't touch a girl. The manual says that you can't eat chazir. The manual says you can't shave with a razor. That's what the manual says. So you can't say what does he know what? What does he know about you being a human being? Hashem is GM. Hashem created us. So Therefore, when you want to know how to fix us and how to run us and how, how to keep the, the, the car running the way it's supposed to so that you don't explode in the middle of Route 17, you have to look in the manual. And it's not up to you to say what Korach said. Korach said, I'm not looking. The manual says Moshe should be the leader and Aaron should be the Kohen Gadot. Why? I'm just as great as they are. Once he's stepped out of the manual, once you step out of that manual, then you can put orange juice in your, in your engine. If you're not using the manual, you feel like doing what you want to do and you're like, Hey, orange juice does it for me. Why shouldn't it do it for my car, right? And there you are. You know, orange juice doesn't cost four fifty a gallon. So, like, you know, if you guys saw me going outside right now, and like, oh man, I'm very low. Let me fill up. And I, and I take out a thing of orange juice and pour it into my car. Rebbe's over. Like, you're Rebbe lost it. He's he's out of his mind. Or maybe milk. Maybe chocolate milk. Maybe that's what you should put in the engine. Who knows, right? Instead of wheels, we'll put skis. I don't know. There's no rules. So I don't know. Maybe the square wheel would work better than the round wheel. I have no idea. If, once I don't know, right? If you buy Acura parts for a GM car, it's not going to fit. It's not going to fit. If you had a cut from an accident, you lost your bumper on the front of your Cadillac, right? And then you just go to the garbage dump and you buy, you know, a bumper from a Ford or from a from an Acura, and you try to fit it on your. It's not going to fit. So you got to stop bending things and breaking things and repainting things, and it doesn't work. So. You can't put parts that don't belong in. So the Torah, and that's what happened by Kairach, Kairach started putting his own parts in. He had his own opinion, what should be, what shouldn't be, and once you go to that, you could be putting orange juice in your engine. So a person in life, once you start making your own decisions, what I'm allowed to do, what I'm not allowed to do, by your own decisions, by what you think, once you step out that, you're going to end up, his whole family was destroyed. His grandchildren were destroyed. Everything was destroyed. Klayishol was almost destroyed. You can't go outside of the book because you can't go outside of the manual. But if you're inside the manual, you can fix anything. You really can't. You, you read the man. If a guy knows the manual end-to-end, you don't need a mechanic because it really tells you everything. It tells you where the fuses are. It tells you the transmission. And it tells you everything. So the more a person learns, the more a person understands, the more he understands what he's supposed to do in this world. But if you don't learn Torah and you don't read the manual... You have no idea. You know, I'm the kind of guy that when I buy toys for my grandchildren, I never read the instructions. I have a big problem with instructions with toys. And I always have that for some reason the company that delivered this forgot to put in two screws. But it's not true. I just used the wrong screws in the wrong places. But at the end, I'm like screaming at my wife, we got to go back to Toys R Us! Or two extra screws. I don't know where they belong. Or the screw's too short because I used the long one where the short one was supposed to be used. You don't follow the instructions at the end. Not in the middle, guys. In the middle, everything flows. It's at the end that you realize you didn't follow instructions because you're left with one screw that's too long and one screw that's too short and it doesn't work. So now you got to take apart the whole toy and start to read the instructions. It's the way it works. That's the way it works. So a person who doesn't read instructions at the end of his life realizes that all those parts in the end don't come together because he's missing something. And this is the instructions. The Torah is the instructions. And that's what we need to we need to dig in. We need to learn. And the more we learn, the more we know what, the, what it says in the manual. You are not allowed to make your own decisions. My decision really would have been a very smart one. Expensive car, expensive oil. Wrong. Not in this case. It was wrong. And I would have killed my whole car. Today, I um, went to a barbecue of a 11th grade girls class to speak to them. It happened to have been in Seagate's and it was the middle of my day I didn't have time to prepare and I figured I'm just going to sit around and you know see what Hashem sends to the, to the table maybe I'll ask, have them ask questions whatever it is anyway so I come to this house in the back porch and this class is sitting around a table and it's on the ocean it's one of these houses that's on the ocean the beach and the ocean and I'm, I'm looking at this ocean and I'm like I'm supposed to speak to them about God and I'm like what could I tell them about God that they can't see you know, by this ocean, and just stuff started coming into my head that I had heard over years, over years, over years and I started, these are girls that have to learn and have to learn, Hashem. a lot of them have gone through very tough times in life and I said, let's take a look at the ocean I'm, I'm telling it to you guys also let's take a look at the ocean, right so, I learned from the ocean, I'll tell you what I learned from the ocean because I like to think about things, is the waves are every, every five seconds, maybe every three seconds, another wave another wave, another wave, another wave right and I heard from once a big, a big tzaddik who also used to, not also I'm not a tzaddik but he used to think about everything that he saw and he said that, that, that a person should be like a wave what does that mean he says when Hashem created the world why do we have waves why are there waves I'll teach you a little Kabbalah tonight you go to the ocean there are waves where do the waves come from is there a fan underneath the water is there a battery pushing the water so it comes from the moon the moon has a, a pull on the on, on the water. Why does Hashem do that? Why does Hashem do that? Why does why does, why does the moon have a pull on the water? To teach us something very important. When Hashem created the world, the world was all first pasuk. First pasuk in the chumash. <laughs> well, I tell you, the world was empty. Barren. It was dark. But there was water. There was water. How do we know? It says that the spirit of God was hovering. Whatever that means, above the water. Now, if you go to you go to the third day. The waters should uh, underneath the earth should be a echot should be gathered into one place, oceans, lakes into into one place. But and there should be land. He called the land, he called the dry earth land. So what happened was that Hashem, the whole world was water. The whole world was water. And Hashem separated the water from the earth. So the water naturally wants to always cover the earth because that's where it it used to cover the whole earth. And therefore, the water is always rushing onto the seashore to totally flood the world. It wants back what it had. It wants to have the whole world. So therefore, when you sit at a beach and you watch these angry, we call them angry waves, because they're, they're trying to get up and the beach takes them and throws them back. They are trying through the moon, which is a whole very deep shit. I'm not going into it. Through the moon, they are trying to destroy all of us and to take back the world that was taken from them. And they never give up. From all the land and the whole world, any land that touches the ocean, the ocean, will, it's never quiet, there's always waves, will continuously, continuously try to take over the world. There's the sand, if you go to the beach, and the sand says, nothing doing, man. The ocean tries to come up, and the sand pushes him back. The ocean tries to come up, and the sand pushes him back. This has been going on since Hashem created the world. If you go to Coney Island tonight, you stand by the beach, you will watch that it doesn't stop for one second. It hasn't stopped for over 5,000 years. Ocean's trying, beach is protecting. Ocean's trying, beach is protecting. It does not ever stop we learn two things from this this great rabbi said one we learn from the water never to give up it has on its mind it wants to get something done so the wave that gets pushed back you see the wave come in and you see the wave get pushed back so he's pushed back and he tells them all the other waves what are you doing we can't, it's not, it doesn't work and I try to get up there and it doesn't work and the other wave says yeah you couldn't do it but I'm going to do it and the next wave comes and the next wave comes and the next wave comes for five thousand years. It doesn't stop trying. And a person has to have the same spirit. You try to go to minion, you try to go to minion, you try to go to minion, yes pushes you back, yet so pushes you back, yes pushes pushes back. You want to put on filling, you want to put on filling, you want to put on filling, he pushes you back. You don't want to talk to girls anymore, he pushes you back. You don't want to do certain averos that a boy does, he pushes you back. He pushes you back, he pushes you back. Pushes you back. What do you learn from the ocean? Just keep trying. Don't ever give up. Keep pushing, keep trying, and when the wave before you comes and says, you don't got no chance. I tried to change, I couldn't. You're like, but I'm going to be the one that could change. That's the wave side of it. What's the beach side of it? It's amazing. I think it's even greater. So what's a beach? A beach is is sand. If you take a look at sand, and you put it in your hand, you'll see that there are grains of sand. Each one's like a little teeny pebble, very microscopic, very, 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 very teeny. Now, There's no way, there's no way that one little pebble of sand can hold back the Atlantic Ocean. You have to understand that the whole Atlantic Ocean is pushing to cover New York. The whole body of water wants to go over the whole New York. You have this beach of sand on Coney Island that you're walking through on your feet, right? And the sand's saying, no, no, you can't go past here. Now, in that sand, if you look at this sand... It's one teeny kernel. It's nothing. How does the sand hold back the ocean? Because there's billions of particles of sand. But each piece of sand has to be there. He says the same thing. A human being, we think, oh, come on, Rabbi Wallace, I'm going to be Mashiach. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to stop the ocean. I'm a nobody. The answer is, if you take all the kernels of sand together, you take each person, each Jew, does what he's supposed to do, then he has the power to push the ocean that's trying to destroy us, to push the Yitzhara, to push the dark side that keeps coming back and forth, back again, back again. Each person, all together, as Klai Yisrael, as one, becomes a beach. The Jewish nation becomes a beach that's able to push the water back. Now, that's what I heard from, from, I heard that a long time ago, and I repeated it to these girls. (coughs) And then I started thinking, I was watching some kids, and they were making castles. By the beach. And I remember as a kid, I used to go to Florida with my father. And I was very big into, I was able to make a tunnel from eight different sides that went through this one thing in the center. And then I would build a fort with a moat in front of it. But I was a stupid kid. Because the sand that you can build with is the sand that's close to the ocean. It's close to the water. And the regular sand is nothing. You can't build with it. And of course, that, you know, that one wave would come up there and hit my moat with my bridge with my gansamaisa, and after two or three waves it it totally collapsed until I got smart and I took the water and brought it with my pail and built my castle a little bit further away from the water then my castle was able to stand so I told the girls today that if you think that you can fight the water with it continuously hitting you and hitting you and hitting you if you're going to go to clubs and you're going to go to movies and you're going to go to all these places and the water is like the Yet Sahara and you go to Shreve Walstein Shear and boys, you go to Davin and all that, but you put yourself near the ocean where the waves are going to keep rolling on you and rolling on you and rolling on you, your castle's done. Your castle's done. It cannot, it cannot work. It cannot work. You know, Mayim is compared to Tyrell also. It cannot work. You ha- the further you go away, from the water the more chance you have of that castle building forget about a castle a house if you build a house near the water sooner or later the sand gives away the house goes into the ocean the further the house is away from the ocean the more of a chance you have it to stand so a person has to realize that you have to step away from the Yetzirah and all these movies and all this especially in the summer all this filth and all this dirt no matter how great a person you are there's only a certain amount of waves you can handle and after that the whole thing is going to collapse and I said to them to, We were sitting in the sun Well, we were sitting at, and I said, I said to the girls, I said, do me a favor. I want everyone to pick up their hand and to block the sun. All the girls that were sitting there. They said, well, how can you block the sun? I said, try it. And they put up their hands and they blocked the sun. As anyone here would do. If you go out tonight, there's a moon. You put up your hand, right? Right now, I can put up my hand. I can block the whole fixture. Now, if I would go up to the fixture and put my hand there, it would just be one box. But sitting from here... Pretty much, I can block the face, I definitely can block, the. everyone here can definitely block the clock in the back. If you turn around, put your hand up, there's no clock. Now how can you do that? Your hand is, my hand is one, two, three, maybe four and a half inches wide, maybe five inches wide, six inches long. That clock is probably about two feet by two feet. So how do I block that clock with my hand if my hand is so small? Now here these girls were sitting, and I told them to block the sun you know how big the sun is across from one diameter of the sun, anyone here know the diameter of the sun how long no that's how far away I think it's like like 980,000 miles across something like that, crazy amount crazy, Uh, the earth is the earth compared to the sun is nothing it's a a pebble, a mashah okay, now, here you have this human being sitting there, if you take your hand tomorrow and put it in front of your eyes you can cover the sun how could that be Your hand is four inches wide. The sun is millions of hundreds of thousands of miles. How can that be? And we learn from this. Hashem does everything for a reason. We learn from this that the further you get away from an object, the easier it is to cover it up. So, same person. Bring them close to the sun. You can put your hand up all you want. You're not going to block anything. You're going to be a... a pin, right? The earth would be a pin. Right now, sun doesn't look that big. You bring it as much closer to the sun, and the whole earth is, is, is going to be like a little pin to the sun. So Hashem created the ability of a human being to understand an amazing thing. That the further away you are, the object didn't change, the sun doesn't change because I'm far away from it. The sun is as big as it is. But the further I move away, the easier it is for me to cover, the smaller it is in my eyes. How is it possible to live in God's world, to live in God's world, to sit on an ocean, just, just sitting on an ocean and watching the water continuously try and the earth continuously push it back, how is it possible not to see Hashem? How is it possible that a, that a, that a girl, that going that, that being busy with a girl can cover up all of God? You can do every Aveira that, being, that listening to mu- certain kinds of music can totally encompass you. You can do every Aveira, and Hashem is so huge. He's everywhere. How could you not see him? And the answer is that the Yitzhahara, he takes you far, the further away you are from God, the smaller, the easier it is to cover God. And that's why it says that Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest modest person that ever lived. Which is really not fair because I want to be the most, well that doesn't sound very modest, but I want to be the most modest person that ever lived. You can't tell me that I don't have the ability to be more modest than Moshe Rabbeinu. You take away my bechira. You take away my choice. I want to work on myself that I am more modest than Moshe Rabbeinu. Why can't I do that? And the answer is because Moshe Rabbeinu was right at the sun. Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Hashem pe'l peh. So he was so close to God that it made him so teeny. And no person will ever talk to Hashem pe'l peh. Therefore, it's not that, that, that Hashem is taking away my choice. Hashem is telling me that he was so close to me, so therefore he saw how great I am. You won't get that close. And since you won't get that close, I'll always be smaller than I was to my shrimp. So I just want to end with this thought. It's encompassing all the other thoughts. I think it's very important for all of us to know. I heard an amazing, amazing of art, which is so so true about, about our relationship with Hashem. Through a marshal. You know, I, I'm dealing in, in teaching for 30 years, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of guys here that have the same question. And, and the question is, I, I never saw I never saw God. I hear all your speeches, and I should see God through the ocean, and I should see God through the trees and the flowers and the colors and the fruits and pain and shmain and all these great things around. Bottom line is, I never saw Him. I speak to Him, I dabble to Him, I learn from Him. You had a Cadillac, you had a manual, you saw the car, you saw the engine, you saw the manual. You know who GM is. You saw GM's plants. You saw their advertisements. Uh, I I understand I have a car and I understand I have a manual, but who wrote the manual? How do I know it was Hashem? Maybe it's an accurate manual. How do I know this manual came from Hashem? I never got to see Hashem. So I heard an amazing, amazing Marshall. There was this gorgeous, gorgeous girl. See, I know I get everyone's attention. Guys are falling asleep. (laughs) I know which buttons to push. Anyway, there was this gorgeous, gorgeous girl. She was like the most beautiful girl in Israel. And there was this guy who his friends were telling him, hey, you got to get a date with this girl. She is like so beautiful. If you even go out with her, right, you're, you're the luckiest guy in the world. So he's like a big shot, you know. He's like, hey, I can get any date I want, you know. No problem. And no one's so gorgeous, I'm sure, you know. Maybe I won't even like her. And they're like, are you crazy? The minute you see her, forget about it. He's like, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. They read the shidduch. They read the shidduch. So the girl checks him out. And the girl finds out the guy's a big shot. He's cheap. He talks about everybody. He's he's so full of himself, and she's like, I don't want to go out with him. But the shachan says, "Listen, you already have. You know, you're so beautiful, whatever. It is. You're not going to go out with him, then uh, then people are going to talk that you're snot, that you you know you you think so much of yourself. Just go out with him once." She says to herself. She says to herself, "I don't I don't want to like this person. I don't want this person to like me, because what I hear about him, I don't want to have anything to do with such a person." So what does she do? She takes her hair instead of blow drying it she curls it like it's it's like all knitted up and knotted up and whatever you could imagine she 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 puts on no makeup whatsoever she puts on the most ugly ugly dress that you could ever imagine she puts on shoes that are ugh. she has brown nail polish on her feet and her fingers I mean she has dressed herself up so ugly that you know, a Cockroach wouldn't go out with her. I mean <laughs> she, She's like, forget about it. She gets to the car, he picks her up, he's like, Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> he gets to the car and he's like, This girl is the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life that's two weeks away that I'm talking about ugly girls it's not nice but okay there's no such thing this is just a marshal because there is no such thing as an ugly person because every person's beauty is themselves who's ugly who's not long nose or short nose maybe, maybe the long nose is beauty and the short nose isn't beautiful some people like long nose so there's no such thing in, in a human being there is no there's only inner beauty outer beauty is, is a silly thing you know um, in, in the old days a skinny person was a sick person so a skinny girl they would never let you go out with a skinny girl. Your father wouldn't let you go out with a skinny girl because they felt that a skinny person is sick and she probably can't have children. So in those days they were looking for heavyset people. <laughs> Today they look for skinny people. So that just it doesn't make a difference. Every person's beauty is it's in their own, it's in their own beauty. This guy goes out with her, comes back, tells his friends, I dropped her like a hot potato. Like a hot potato man. I would go out with this girl ever again. He called her the Shachin. Are you kidding me? Are you crazy? How dare you set me up with this girl? And he walks out and he feels like, I dropped her. It's a balgaiva. I dropped her. Who dropped who? She dropped him. She made herself ugly so that he would never go out with him again. He didn't drop her because if he would have seen what she really looked like, there's no way he wouldn't have gone out with her again. She before the date dropped him. She dropped him before the date. She said, I to do with this. I'm gonna do the I'm gonna make myself smelly and ugly and disgusting, spit on the floor a little bit, you know, whatever I have to do to make sure that he never go out with me again. So he's walking around. I dropped her. Meanwhile, she's back at home. She's putting her hair back together, she's getting back dressed, and she's the most beautiful girl in the world. And he wouldn't even recognize her. And the friends are like, something's very wrong here in this story. Because we've seen her beauty. There's no way that what you're describing is true. Must be, you're a loser. This girl went out of her way to make herself ugly because she didn't want any part of you. You didn't drop her. She dropped you. You're a loser. And then when he gets to see... When she goes out with somebody else and, she gets to see, and you get to see what she really looks like, he realizes, oh my goodness, she dropped me. She did this to make sure I would never go out with her again. This is an unbelievable muscle. Everybody's running around. I drop God. I don't need God. Who's God? I don't see God. He's ugly. He just gives pain to the world, diseases to the world. I don't want any part of him. And you're walking around, the big shot guy, I dropped God. Yeah, man. I don't see God. I don't need God. Who's God? I dropped him. Let's smoke a cigarette on Shabbos. (laughs) I don't want to say the word. But like, you know, blank God. I'll teach him a lesson. Huh? Idiot. (laughs) You didn't drop nothing. He dropped you. He hid himself from you. He hid his beauty from you. You know why? Because you're a big shot and you're full of yourself and you're busy with yourself. And the Shekhinah says, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. But I'm God. And therefore, I'm still going to go out with him. The sun's going to rise. The flowers are going to come out. I'm still going to go out with him. But I'm going to hide myself from him. I'm going to hide myself because he's walking around. He's going to see, I'm going to see if I like my relationship with Hashem. And we'll see if I like God. If I like God, maybe i go out with him again. But if I don't like God, I'm going to drop like a hot potato because because I'm, you know, who I am. I'm Chaim, Shlaim, i Yehuda, whatever my name is. And I'll make a decision all these kids on the street. I'll decide if God's good to me, then maybe I'll give him another date. Hashem says, no. you're you're not even going to see what I look like you're going to see the dark side you're going to see the the, the drag and and, 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 and without the makeup without anything because you don't deserve to see and therefore when you walk around and you go to a tzaddik and I've seen this where a guy comes to a tzaddik and he says I don't need Hashem I don't like Hashem I have nothing to do with Hashem Hashem is pain Hashem is ugliness. God is ugliness and pain and no peace and all this other stuff. And they laugh. And they're like, I've seen God. And that's not what He is. Must be He dressed Himself up really good so that you wouldn't know His beauty. And that's scary. And that's scary. And that, I hate to tell you, is the generation that we're in. Generation of Nister. When the Jewish nation was a beautiful nation Hashem was nigla Hashem was dressed to kill Hashem was out there on top of the base of Migdash with a cloud there were miracles ten miracles all the time in the base of Migdash it was a date it was beautiful but then when we started walking around and saying I do need I don't need I, I could say no I can make my choice Because Kishbrochu said you know what I don't want these people I don't want to date these people so I'm going to hide myself And he became a nister. But there are many people today who follow the manual who still get a chance to see the beauty of Hashem. And they don't understand the kids who smoke on Shabbos, who are in God's face, so to say, because I don't see him and I want to teach him a lesson. And walking around saying, I dropped Hashem. You know who I am? I dropped the Jewish religion. I showed everybody. I dropped Hashem, not realizing you idiots. Hashem dropped you. Because if you could see who Hashem was, you would never drop him. But because of your behavior, he doesn't want to show you his beauty. He doesn't want to be married to you. But, but, and I'm not trying to say a guy that knows girls, but a guy that knows what he's doing is able to look at this girl who has her hair all messed up, wearing this terrible dress and smelly, and say, her features are gorgeous. She's got a perfect nose. She's got beautiful eyes. So if she, she she she's hiding something from me. If she would put her hair back and if she would put on her makeup and if she wouldn't come like with, with mud on her head, right? This is a really a beautiful girl. So we have a bigger job today than we had in the times of the Beis HaMikdash. In the times of the Beis HaMikdash, Hashem was the beautiful girl, so to say, with his hair done and we could just come to the Beis HaMikdash and we could just see him. Now... We have to be able to look at an ocean and understand that the that the sand that is holding back this ocean from destroying the world. We have to look at a sun and understand that there's a sun in the Shemaiah every single day. It never misses. We don't get to see Hashem, Panim Al him, but we get to see his features. And any person who understands, who learns Torah, can see those features and understands from those features that he gives me pain every day that I'm hungry so that I can eat something delicious. He's hiding. He's really beautiful. He's just hiding from me because I don't deserve to see him. And if this guy at the end of the date would have told this girl that I want to go out with you again, she would have said, really? And he would have said, yeah, because I, I really know what's underneath all this stuff. You're just trying to hide from me then of course this girl would have gone out with him again. Because if he's able to see through everything, to see her beauty, that means he has beauty. A person who sees potential, by the way, is a person who realized potential. In other words, a lot of people say that I see potential in kids. They ask me, how, how do you do that? You know, this kid, how did you make the call to send, to, to, to make, listen, there's a boy that the whole world said I should not allow him to become a ger. One of my tell me that he wasn't Jewish, and he was in a rehab, he went through the whole drug thing, went through the whole rehab thing, and he wanted to become Jewish, and every single person that I knew, said so Rebbe Wallistein, you're making a very big mistake. You're going to make him a Jew, and he's not going to keep the mitzvot, and he's going to be Machal Shabbos, and, and you're going to cause that. Don't help him with his gayness. And I looked at this kid, he wasn't a kid, he was already 19, and I knew that he was for real and all the rabbis and all the psychologists and all his friends all said you, you shouldn't do this and roch hashem we pushed it i pushed it and he became a gear it's now 3 years or 2 years or 3 years guy sitting and learning 18 hours a day he is the masmid of one of the biggest yeshivas in israel so all the rabbis and people that were involved in this case said to me how did you know this it was like he went through drugs he went through rehab how did you know that he was going to be he was going to make it i said i knew because i saw his potential i said how did you see his potential we didn't see it i said because i i worked on myself my whole life to realize my potential if you are able to realize your potential then you're able to see that in another person just like a good coach right a good coach who was a ball player. I always feel that the best coach is a guy who was a ball player. When he looks at a guy that you might look at and say, that guy will never play, he has no shot, he'll say, no, he's a natural. What do you mean he's a natural? He moves naturally, he sees the court naturally. We have to work on a shot, nothing to talk about, but he's a natural. There are guys, there are famous stories when I was growing up of guys who were newspaper delivery boys who used to throw the newspaper at the door. I don't know if it was Sandy Koufax, one of them, that he was delivering papers to the manager of a baseball team was one of the guys in New York, they were there, whatever. And one morning he walked out, he saw how this kid was able to throw from his bicycle and it would land mamish on the welcome mat. And every half down the line, he got out of the walked out of his house and he looked every half down the line, the 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 newspaper fell mamish on the welcome mat. He was throwing newspapers with such pinpoint accuracy and the next day when he came by he said Do you want to learn how to play how to throw a ball? So I would never have seen that. How would you see that from but a person who's in the game has the ability to see the game. And therefore, a person who learns Torah, boys, and a person who Davin, and a person who puts on tzilin, a person who's in the game, even, even in the pain, he'll be able to see the beauty of God. And he'll say, Hashem, I know, you're hiding. I know you're hiding. But I want to go out with you again. And then, if the second date, I'm sure she wouldn't already, she's not wearing that dress, and she's not wearing that makeup, that, that black stuff, and she's not, and her hair is done if this guy can see when I'm hiding my ability he can imagine what he's going to see when I'm not hiding and that's what we need to do because my next week Shir Mets Hashem which is going to be a little bit scary but it's about Mashiach and I'm telling you I'm not looking to scare you just the opposite I'm telling you that stuff is happening exactly the way that it was written and if you want to be there when Mashiach comes and you want to see Hashem the Niglah, not the hidden Hashem but the open Hashem then you better be able to see Hashem now when he's hidden because if you don't see him now you're not going to get to see him then and that was Korach's mistake Korach's mistake this week's parasha was that he didn't go to the Torah he went to his own ways of seeing Hashem I believe you you can talk to God and there's other ways of but there's only one way to see Hashem and to talk to God and that's by using the book the manual that he gave us you read the manual you'll know what you have to do everybody here should have a HaKadosh Baruch Hu should be M- be Megala himself to all of us, to all of Klai Israel, and here be and Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com.